Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. Today, we continue our series on the sexual wound, a topic that is near and dear to my heart as I've worked for over three decades with men and women traumatized and severely damaged and hurt and wounded from sexual relationship, whether it's their own issues with pornography or their own issues in dating and reverse pacing, as Karen and I have talked a lot of before in the hookup culture, or it's based on other factors about society as a whole. We're going to cover two topics today. We're going to start with how sexual woundedness manifests, and it's different for different people. In some cases, people shut down entirely sexually so that then when they do find their person, and have this beautiful gift of sexual intimacy, they're unable to appreciate it and engage in it. And the other way that it manifests is when people become hypersexualized to the extent that they have a very hard time controlling the sexual impulses and everything around them, every person is objectified, every experience, the primal desire within that experience is to get to that some sort of sexual element of it. And so Ellie's going to talk about those as he's seen them play out with the couples he's worked with. And then we'll move to the part that we all want to resonate in, and that is the healing. Yeah. So then we'll mention uh, six specific healing aspects. And, and I just want to make sure people understand this is not prescriptive in its order, but it is prescriptive in its movement. Once we recognize we do have a sexual wound, it is necessary that we intentionally work on forgiveness and healing and grace and application. Yes, I love that. Before we dive into this topic head first, I do want to give a shout out to Magic Mind. You all know that a holistic approach to mental and physical health is a core value of this podcast. And Elliot and I are both extremely random and we both struggle to focus and tackle tasks in an efficient manner You can ask Dan or Angie about that. They will tell you it's true. Personally, I definitely need my coffee to help me get my mornings going. And in the past, I would have four to five cups per day. But that's a lot of coffee. And I was just talking to a friend and he says that after a point, the cortisol levels shoot up because of your coffee intake. And that actually isn't good for your metabolism. It's causes you to retain fat. So who wants that? No. Also, the acid, when I was drinking like four to five cups per day, would start to upset my stomach. Plus, when I drink coffee too late in the afternoon, I end up struggling to get to sleep at night. So none of that's good. That's where Magic Mind comes in. It's a little shot of completely natural ingredients. So super important to me that we are eating clean and drinking clean. So I love that it's all natural. And not only does it help your attention span, but as an added bonus, it also helps with stress and anxiety. One of these clean ingredients is matcha, which extends the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it. And that prevents that spike in cortisol that I was mentioning before which leads to a crash that can come from having too much caffeine. 
Matcha is basically nature's extended release version of caffeine. And as you know, another core value of this podcast is to talk about ways to level up emotional health, physical health without resorting to medication. So we hope you will check out Magic Mind at www.magicmind.co slash love life. That's www.magicmind.co slash love life, L-O-V-E-L-I-F-E. And when you head over, be sure to use promo code love life 20 for 20% off your purchase. Also, we want to thank you for supporting our sponsors. That's one of the ways that you empower us to keep bringing you content that we hope enriches your life. So let's look at the ways that sexual woundedness might manifest. And as we talked about at the top, that can be a hypo or a repressed experience with sex or hyper, which would be highly sexualized experiences. And in hypo, you give five different ways that someone may be repressing their sexuality based on woundedness. And Number one, you say that the sexual desire and the response don't match the relationship. So this could be an example of someone who's married and they should be in the freedom and the fullness of their sexual intimacy and the desire and the response are not in line with that. Number two, you talk about a PTSD response, which we can certainly understand someone from having been through some trauma, then in a healthy context, still isn't able to receive the healthy beauty of the intimacy of the sexual acts. Number three, you talk about severe anxiety, repression, inhibition, that fear, disassociation when sexual activity commences. And that's that utter shutdown or that dissociation to where the sexual act is happening, but the emotional connectedness is not in place. Number four, you talk about sexual activity that leads to avoidance or anxious attachment behavior. And this is something that our community is very concerned with when they look at their attachment style. And here we're going to relate this back to, to sexual woundedness. And then number five, you talk about sexual activity that's not able to be expressed in that committed relationship, but can be expressed in non-committed relationships or in random hookup type of scenarios and how painful that would be for a wife and a husband to recognize that the sexual fulfillment of their partner is not coming from them, but rather through extraneous or an external, and again, hookups, extramarital affairs, pornography, and the like. Yeah, we create those bonds, going off the last one, if we create those bonds like in hookup culture, are just fooling around on the side, and then we move on, we don't date, we don't court, we don't commit to anything, then we get into a committed, bonded relationship, and our whole sexual attraction, sexual arousal systemic is off because you're not going to be encouraged or your body's not going to respond naturally to this committed one because you're used to the uncommitted ones. And so then you have this wonderful partner and you can't find yourself sexually alive or enthralled or moving. And then you're like, but if I think about getting on one of these sites quick and getting a random hookup, I'm totally aroused and ready to go. So there's that wiring of the bonding that's so, so critical. And of course, I deal with many couples where normally the woman, but I've done it with men as well, where she has been sexually abused or sexually assaulted. And so that's where that sexual desire and response thing doesn't match. They have this partner now they really love him and he's a great guy and he's been kind and sensitive and gentle and appropriate and pacing. And then she wants to release this part of herself. 
it just isn't there. It's repressed, it's hidden, it's blocked. The fear, I talked to a couple last week where she loves her husband tremendously and they're both on top of the issues and the awareness and the healing and the counseling, but she still can't get her body to physiologically respond. She can't get it centered completely to now know this is safe and this is appropriate. And just so your listeners know as well, I'm helping her get a her own female therapist to walk through those, the sexual healing that, because yes, I can do it, but I don't think it's appropriate to have her do that with a man. Even if her husband was still there, I still think it's best to get that with a and not and avoid all those transference issues that can be there. I can certainly, as we've talked about before, be a, a good father, spiritual advisor and pastor and masculine healing, but I don't think it's appropriate for me to be the one to walk her through that imagery you need to do, walk through the experience again and, and work on the PTSD, EMDR type of healing. But I see that all the time and it comes up all the time. That's the one, Karen, that's not often, are not always shared ahead of time with a spouse because you feel really bad about it or really inhibited about it. And then you get into marriage and the sex life's not going real well. And then they'll come and shamefully tell me, hey, we're just really struggling in the bedroom or with intimacy. It's funny, no one, hardly anyone ever says sex or sexual intercourse. They just don't use those words. They always give me these couched words as if, oh my goodness, I've not heard about that before. So it's just always interesting, but it happens all the time and it breaks my heart for them. And normally some just baseline teaching and sharing and understanding the wound, understanding of the healing process and how to work on this gives couples freedom and hope again for the first time. So if any of your listeners are wrestling through those kind of woundedness from assault, abuse, rape, and they haven't shared that with a trusted friend or partner or gone and get some counseling, that would be a step one. I know we'll get to those later, but that would be a step one. Please don't carry that wound on your own. I just feel for those couples too, because then once they are in that safe and secure relationship, and then with her not being able to be full and free, he's going to take it personally. What am I doing wrong? It's just, yeah. How am I acting like the abuser? The man's ego is going to be hurt. And And then fearful that his desire for her is somehow threatening to her because, Mm -hmm. and how, and his natural and God-given desire for her is now scaring her and how painful that would be from him. I had a couple, again, a couple in the last month or so, I can't remember exactly when, it's not that important, but I had a couple, the woman was mad at her husband for his nighttime or early morning erections. And he's like, babe, I am not trying to hit on you in the middle of the night, but this is how my body responds. And she didn't know male anatomy and physiological yeah, understanding to know not, that's yeah. part of a man's life. It's not, but again, it, it makes sense, right? Because so, she's having a PTSD response. Why is he trying to get on me first thing in the morning or something? He's like, I'm not, that's just how my body responds. But she didn't know. And so being able to bring that up in a scenario with a counselor was super helpful. She felt so much better. And you could see the relief on his heart. He's like, oh my goodness, thank you for telling her this is not me being sadistic and trying to create these sexual moments that I'm, I think he would have been open to it, but he was not trying to. It wasn't yeah. motivated to scare her or bring that response. Yeah. So some psychoeducation just about male, female physiology. And yeah. so let's look at the hyper sexual wound, the evidence of a sexual wound that would then manifest in a hyper mode, which would be You've got four here. Sexual activity only desired and enjoyed for own sexual response. Sexual activity is the only form of intimacy. Sorry, my grammar's not great. I was just whipping these off. (laughs) I know you're struggling (laughs) even reading them appropriately because they're just like bullet points. (laughs) Sexual activity becomes the only mutually shared experience. 
And finally, sexual activity isn't contained within the committed relationship. So that would be some sort of partnership. They're exclusive, but they're still open relationship type of thing. That also, that could be part of it, or just the idea that he's in this committed relationship and having even maybe wonderful sex with his partner, but still flirting up a storm and objectifying women when he sees them and talking them as if in the back of his head saying, if this current woman ditches me, I'm going to have some others ready. I've had lots of women who found that kind of evidence in the early parts of their relationship with their husband. Again, a couple happened this fall where she found texts that from another woman and they were pretty clear that he was saying, hey, if this doesn't work out, I just want to make sure you're available. Or if she treats me like this any much longer, if you want to get together, let me know. It was that blatant. And that's just an example again of him, even in the enjoyable part of this current relationship, he's still not able to contain himself. Or a man who is having regular sexual activity with his partner and still watching a ton of porn and masturbating porn on the side. And again, those bonds do not automatically eliminate just because you have the appropriate bond now available. And breaking those habits and those addictions, they often stay in that hyper aroused state. And any man who's been habitually addicted to porn and masturbation like that, and usually that'll be once a day or more to go into a a committed partnership relationship and want that same level of sexual fulfillment from a woman, she could be extremely sexually active. And to think of having sex once or twice every single day in the relationship, sometimes it's going to be absolutely impossible. And so in his mind, he's saying, well, to be appropriate with her, I'll just continue to watch and masturbate on my side. So I'm not being so demanding of her, but he doesn't recognize he's still creating those bonds and those wounds that enter into that partnership relationship. So again, a lot of these guys who've been so enslaved in bondage to their sexual nature, their sexual self, they can find an appropriate woman that loves them for who they are. They love them for who she is. And yet they still have these hypersexual bonds created and to eliminate those and to not still objectify her or to be so focused on Every single date, his goal in the back of his mind is to sleep with her. It's not to have a nice time and to enjoy conversation. It becomes the lens becomes completely saturated by his sexual fulfillment. And that's that hyper sense. So I'll have a lot of women in my office say things like, the sex is awesome, but I don't even feel like he's totally here with me. It's all good in the performance realm or whatever you want to call it, but I don't sense his heart's fully there. I don't feel his soul's fully there. And that's a representation of this hyper sexual wound, that he does love her. He does enjoy the sex with her, but he's still not able to be fully present, fully emotional. The movie Don John, I think it was, maybe 10 years ago or so, I can't remember the actors or actresses involved. The, she was a redhead and he was... Anyway, it's not important, but it's a very, it does a great job showing that very ideal because his porn addiction and his masturbation addiction, he was wanting to change it got into a good committed partnership and he couldn't. And she was recognizing and sensing that difference, challenged it on him and and they did a good job. I thought as a psychotherapist who deals with a lot of sexual issues, I thought they did a great job writing that and acting that out. Yeah, I've never seen that. It's worthy. Yeah, it was just on the other night. I should have called you and said, hey, go turn it on. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. Put it on your watch list. It's disturbing at the same time because it breaks, breaks, breaks your heart. So funny you just said that because I was like about to say fascinating and disturbing. So let's talk about the healing. Let's bring this to the grace and the hope. And you have six points about sexual wound healing. 
One is grieving past experiences and absence of safety and development. Dude, the, you have got to help absence, me. And the absence of safety and development. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just like texting language. I <laughs> just put stuff together. So grieving the past experiences, <laughs> recognizing what they were and how they created those wounds. And the fact that that was an absence of safety and development, either appropriate developmental timeframes, like in my case, starting sexual activity too early. So there's a lack of that development. I wasn't in an unsafe area or environment, but I was unsafe because I wasn't developmentally ready. So that's the context I'm talking about there. So grieving those past experiences and the absence, maybe I should read them because I know what I was saying. Maybe that'll be easier. So that's one of them. And so sometimes this will be one partner acknowledging something and recognizing something's happening. And that's why I put those points on the other side of the document there about why am I not feeling totally free in this? Why am I not feeling comfortable or safe in this when it is safe? So if something feels unsafe when it's really safe, then we know there's the wound. So I have to recognize what that is, maybe write about it, talk about it, and move forward on getting that healing. So that's how we identify the forgiveness of ourselves for whatever those things were is the second point, forgiving ourselves for our involvement or what areas of things we were able to control in that document are in that process that created that sexual wound. And if you were assaulted or abused or raped, you had no control there. So by no means am I saying you need to forgive yourself. But often when that happens to us, we still feel like somehow we're responsible. So I've had that with so many young men and young women that were sexually abused and at young ages and still tell me, but I know it's my fault. I know I'm the one and got to walk through that bond and that false belief and that lie that's been embedded and often shamed against you by the abuser or the perpetrator, especially when it's a family member or someone close to you. Counseling, of course, you already talked about that and finding specific people who are trained and experienced in sexual healing, sexual wounds. Learning how to talk to your current partner about that wound and that healing. And the best time to do that is not while you're involved in a sexual activity. That's not the best time to bring that up. So to do that in a totally separate venue, separate event, separate time, probably not in the middle of Chili's either. You're going to probably want some privacy in somewhere that's a good environment. And to just start learning how to talk. So many couples have no idea how to talk to each other about sex. Zero. And someone will be unhappy with something in the sexual activity and never say it. So I have so many extreme examples of that. I could give you one in particular was a a couple, godly couple again, loved each other. They'd only had sex with one particular position for like 15 straight years. And then she didn't let him know that she didn't like that position until she completely shut down her sexual response and they had gone like a year without sex at all. And then they came to me and she had never able to tell him. So when she finally told him that she hated that position, he bawled. He felt awful. He had no idea. He loved it. She was trying to please him and serve him in that way, which was a wonderful motivation, but she hated it and she hated it. And then pretty soon she couldn't sexually respond to him at all. So that's an extreme example again, but how this stuff happens. And these are good couples. Most of the examples I'm giving, these are really good couples that aren't trying to get divorced. They're not trying to hurt each other. They're just locked into these wounds. So learning how to talk to your partner about something like that, hey, or even just saying, hey, I'm not comfortable moving on to this level of sexuality. Can we just continue to kiss and hug and hold and not disrobe and not be in bed naked or whatever that standard or line is for you? 
Once you start crossing that and the sexual bonds are created past that, it's almost impossible to go backwards. Really, the physiological and neurological drives are just like powerful, stronger than cocaine, stronger than some of the other addictions. And so learning how to talk with your partner immediately and responsively and comfortably, and that takes a lot of safety and a lot of trust. Again, all the more reasons to back up what you and I have been saying. This isn't meant for every single boyfriend or girlfriend date you have is that sex should be the next response. Pay the bill and go sleep together. That's not how it's supposed to be, not just in the Bible, but in relationship to experiential life and what the research and the neurology and biology and everything else tells us. And so learning how to talk to your partner about that and saying, hey, I just want to be upfront with you that I don't want to sleep with you right now. I want to just get to know you and talk to you and learning how to say those things. The fifth bullet point there is create new patterns then of sexual bond behavior. Super easy statement to write. And that one is actually fairly clear in its writing. So I know you're proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) But doing that takes tremendous amount of work. You know, they say now the breaking habits, breaking patterns, be up to 50 days. Used to be like three weeks, now it's up to 50 days. And I think that's because these patterns start so much earlier. And the wiring that happens with social media and other things and what they're learning about the neurology and things with the eyes. And so to create new sexual bond behavior, to eliminate pornography, to eliminate masturbation, to eliminate some of these things, sexual objectification, it's just a lot of work. So it's an easy statement to say, and you do need accountability. Most men will not be able to do this totally on their own, but please don't make your dating partner your accountability. I have to work with couples on that as well, not to make your primary wife, the one you've wounded with your sexual bond patterns, now be the one to keep you accountable to be holy and pure so you can give her your sexuality. It puts so many different layers of shame, guilt, and hurt there. It's almost impossible to have positive sexuality after that together, even if you do get healed and create new bonds and patterns. And then that's what the last point is, eliminating those old patterns of dysfunctional bond behavior with your spouse or your partner or on your own. There, there probably is no harder healing in the wounded arena and all the wounds we've talked about than this one. The father wound, the mother wound, the divorce wound, the sexual wound is probably the most difficult. And that's tough because I know the divorce wound is really powerful. It involves the sexual wound as well. It's tied in automatically, yeah. Because now you have the severance of the bond that was meant to be forever. Right. And those memories and those developments, those, yeah, it's all there. It just strikes me as you're saying what you just said, that, again, how our language reflects the societal norms and the cultural common beliefs and ways of behaving and Just the fact that these words have ever been put together makes no sense. And these words are just sex. Based on what you just said, it's just sex should never have ever been uttered by anyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the opposite. It's just sex screaming it out loud. Just how important it is and how vital it is to be committed and safe. And again, I'm not trying to create biblical passages that match the psychology we're talking about, but we believe it's fully developed and understood and scripted in scripture. And that's why God tells us only with a man and woman, only with a husband and wife, and only in marriage. Because everything else, and there still could be woundedness there anyway, but everything else is going to automatically create sexual wounds. Where the ones in marriage, at least that bond and that connection is only there and can be healed and solidified so much easier. 
So it feels like this episode to me has been a little discouraging, not on purpose, but just because of the reality of the wound. So I do want to encourage your listeners as a psychotherapist with a lot of experience in this area, that if they've been provoked by this and hurt by this, or just become hyper aware of, oh my goodness, there is an issue here for me, for my partner, or for our relationship, or in my desire to have that relationship, to not lose hope or say, then forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to go the hypo route or the hyper route, but rather just say, okay, I got to acknowledge this. I got to leave this in the conscious. I got to keep this in the present mind and not allow it to be stuffed down or regressed or repressed. And that, just like you said, it's not that big of a deal. I'll eventually find it, but rather say, you know what? I got to make this a, a preeminent position for me, a standard for me that I recognize is for my health, for my wellness, for my future, whether that wonderful partner comes in the next two weeks or in the next two years or in 10 years from now. And if you're recovering from that sexual wound or that divorce or something where that automatic wound is there, just to say, okay, that's there. It's a reality. I can't quite just eliminate it automatically, but I am going to moving forward now, create the appropriate sexual bonds, work on eliminating those other ones, creating the right systems, the right structure to move forward. It just takes a ton of intentionality, but the process of getting to that is so worth it. The couples I have worked with that have healed from these wounds, the joy, the hope, the holistic connection they have as a relationship in and outside of the sexual part is just worth every single second of the pain and the suffering and the heartache to be that raw, that vulnerable, to disclose that, to get those dark roots eliminated or eradicated out of their soul. is just, I just want to encourage that it's worth it. It's just going to be a lot of hard work. Well, I want to thank you for ending on a more positive note. It was a heavy episode for me. And I think the beautiful, many beautiful elements that you're able to bring to this woundedness series and to the other conversations we have for our listeners. But all those years of experience where you have walked through those trenches with those couples or those individuals and you've, they've moved through excruciating pain and then toward that, that lightness of healing that is available to them. So for us to be reminded in the midst of a heavier episode, there is healing, there is hope, there is... Yeah, and, and God is very clear in, in His Word that we are forgiven. And even in the sexual realm, that we are, can be as white as snow to Him, white meaning always purity in Scripture, and that He forgives our sins, whether we've been responsible for these, or even the sins done against us that we haven't been responsible for, He still forgives them. So we don't have to carry that shame, we don't have to carry that victimization, even when it's real. We can release that, be redeemed, be whole, and feel wonderfully, beautifully, handsomely sexual in God's image and in God's eyes and in our partner's eyes and be completely holy and righteous in that. And that's a celebration. And I've had that personally in my own life, let alone with so many couples I've worked with. Amen. I will pray for our sexual wounded audience here. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this very powerful and difficult reality of woundedness in our life. Lord, I thank you for your redemption and your grace and that you do forgive us and even forgive the sins done against us. Pray for all those listeners, Lord, that have a sexual wound personally, or they've had one done against them, or they've been with a partner who has one and it's interfered and caused hypo or hyper responses and just a lack of uh, alignment and safety and trust and freedom. But Lord, it's such a delicate area. It's such a vulnerable area. So I pray for all those listening, Lord, that they would find freedom to bring out the shame, bring out the guilt talk openly and honestly with someone that they love, someone that they trust or a professional that will hear them and help them grieve, help them mourn, help them become free and healed so they can fully identify themselves. Lord, you created sex. You 
brought sex into our lives as part of our identity and we're made in your image. So sex is not evil. It's not shameful. It just has a pretty clear boundary in your word, Lord. And I've certainly seen that as a therapist, not just as a pastor, how important it is to build those safety rails, to build that appropriate structure. God, do your work, bring your healing, bring your power, bring your freedom. And may some of the listeners, even today, Lord, start to feel some hope and some ability to be redeemed and free. And may your grace do its power and may we celebrate in it. So we thank you, Lord, and ask in advance for that healing. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We know this has been a delicate and fragile and vulnerable topic. If through listening to this, you are recognizing that there's sexual woundedness in your experience, we invite you and encourage you to pursue healing. Healing is powerful, it is possible, and we can't thrive in love and life if we haven't begun to address our woundedness. We invite you to check out our website where we offer consultations. And if you'd prefer something in person and you're not in our area, reach out and we will do our best to connect you with a trusted therapist in your area. We offer consultation packages and even a 20 minute just initial consultation to see if it's a good fit for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com where you can find these resources under the work with us tab. We're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.